Love and hate. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, these, these two things, love and hate, always go together. There's no love without hate. Now, th think about what you hate most in your life. What, what is it? Think about it. The one thing that you hate most in your life. On the other side of that hate is your love for something else. So it's like two sides of the same coin, love and hate. Some things are quite trivial, things that you love. For example, like, you know, you love romantic comedy movies. And the other side of that coin is you hate horror movies, perhaps. Or you love healthy food. And on the other side of that, you, you hate greasy food. You don't like greasy food. Or you hate punctuality. You hate to be punctual, to be on time. You love that. So what's the other side? Well, you hate people who have no regards for being on time. Now, however, there, there are things that are, they are less trivial. They're probably more important when it comes to love and hate. For example, you, you love justice. And on the other side of that, you hate injustice. Or you, you love animals. If you love animals, uh, you care for animals, you will hate those who abuse animals. Love and hate. And, and the Bible teaches us if you love the truth, you will hate lies. And if you love the Bible, you will love the word of God. You will hate the lies of Satan's in your life. Now, to be human being is to make decisions, you see, on whether consciously or not, what we love and what we hate. If you don't make a decision on what to love and hate, the people around you, the society that you live in will influence you. Uh, they will tell you what you should love and hate. And oftentimes they tell us quite subtly through TV ads, through the magazine, through, you know, subtle influence. Now, do you know that the Bible has a lot to say in this matter of what we should love and what we should hate? So one of the things that we're going to look at today is, is this idea of love and hate. Okay. So to help us guide our, our study today, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 15, verse 18 to John chapter 16, verse 4, A, the first part of verse 4. And to help us, we're going we're gonna to divide this up into three sections. The first one is predictable hate. Predictable hate. Second one is radical change. And thirdly, extraordinary love. So I repeat again, the three things that we're going to look at today, predictable hate, radical change, extraordinary love now first thing predictable love uh, predictable hate now many people leave and make their decision based on what their peers tell them uh, whether uh, or, or what the society informs them that's how we we make decision right and oftentimes we do that more so than what the bible has to say on that particular matter so we let people tell us we let our society tell us more than what the Bible says on that particular matter. And that's how we make decision. Now, the lifestyle that you come to love and take for granted, whatever that is, have you ever stopped and think for a moment whether that lifestyle was influenced by the Bible or by the society that we live in? What kind of lifestyle are you living in today? And who influenced, what influenced you of that lifestyle? Now, many people work hard for a comfortable life, uh, a happy, 
comfortable, easy life. Many people today work for that, work really hard for it. Now, a comfortable in this, in this world, the Bible says in this side of eternity, there's, there's the other side of eternity. That's when, when we are with Jesus. But on this side of uh, eternity, that's what we seek uh, oftentimes, a comfortable life in this side of eternity. What is that? Well, that is the opposite of what Jesus said his disciple will experience. See, the very thing, the very lifestyle that we seek in this world, in this side of eternity, is the very opposite of what Jesus said would happen to the disciples. So let's look at verse 18 to 19 on, on uh, John 15. So open your Bible, look at John 15, verse 18 to 19. It says this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world and the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So in other words, Jesus said this to his disciples, do not be surprised when the world hates you. Why? Well, Jesus gave us the reason. Did, did you that in verse 19? Because you are not of this world. That's the reason the world will hate you. Your life will not be comfortable if you are my disciple, Jesus said. You are not of this world. Now, the, 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 the apostle Paul later on reminded the Christians in, 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 uh, in Philippi. So you can read this from uh, Philippians 3 verse 20. So the apostle Paul says this. Our citizenship is in heaven on the other side of eternity. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we live for the other side of the eternity, not on this side of eternity. You are from another world. You are not just from another world. You are for another world. So in other words, Jesus said, don't get too comfortable here. The world will hate you. That's what it says in, in verse 18, doesn't it? The world will hate you because they have hated me first. Now, if, if, you, if you pay attention to that, what do you see? I hope you see a loophole here. The world will hate you because they hated me first. There's a loophole there for a comfortable life. A loophole to not be hated. Do you see that? If, if you don't want to be hated, you can by the world because somehow in that sentence you can see there's a loophole the reason the world hates you the reason you won't have a comfortable life is because you live like jesus do you live like jesus if you do then the world will hate you so the loophole is this if you don't want the world to hate you then don't live like jesus then the world will not hate you the only reason the world will hate you is because the world hate Jesus because you live like Jesus, the world will hate you. In other words, if you want a comfortable life, this is a loophole. I give you as a bonus, right? Free of charge. If you want a loophole to live a comfortable life, don't <clears throat> live like Jesus. See, in the book of John, in the gospel of John, we have seen how Jesus make a distinction, how the evangelist John make a distinction between the crowd and disciples so the crowd followed jesus but they didn't stick around for long you see in the gospel of john we have seen that again and again jesus make a clear distinction between a mere follower and a disciple 
The questions for us today, as we read this, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you because you are not of this world, is this. These are the questions we must ask ourselves. Which one are you? Are you the one who tries to take advantage of the loophole in order to live a comfortable life? Or do you seek a comfortable, you know, do you seek a comfortable life or a godly life? Which one are you? Are you a mere follower or are you a disciple of Jesus? When the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, his young protege, you know, his disciple, Paul uh, taught Timothy and encouraged him. He, he wrote this in 2 Timothy verse 3 to 12. I'm just going to read it for us. 2 Timothy verse 3 to 12. Uh, chapter 3 verse 12. Indeed, all who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's no way in the Bible that says, if you follow Jesus, you will have an easy and comfortable life. That's, that's what the Bible says. And um, it's, it's not just in this passage, it's, it's everywhere. And this is what it means for you and for me as we read this scripture, our passage this morning. If you two things I want to talk about under this. If you follow, the first thing is this. If you follow Jesus, if you let the teaching of Jesus be the guide in your life, the persecution, the hate, the hardship, they will predictably come your way. If you follow Jesus, all those things that Jesus is, the hate, the persecution, the hardship, they will predictably come your way. It's predictable because Jesus tells us and Paul tells us and the Bible tells us they will come. Now, it is important uh, for, for us to understand why, why Jesus said this and why the Bible keep reminding us the persecution, the hate that will come. And if you read in chapter 16, verse 1, it says this, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. It's to help us. Jesus said, I warn you this so that you know they're coming. It's predictable. Don't be surprised. That's our second point. If you follow Jesus, all these things shouldn't surprise you at all, right? So in verse one, it says to keep you from falling away. If you want to stay strong, stay rooted in the word of God, in Jesus, Jesus said, listen to this. They will come. Jesus said to keep you from falling away. Now, predictability, the warning of Jesus is so important. So Jesus said, they, this suffering, this hate, this hardship are predictable. Um, I'm reminded of it. Let, let us not minimize the importance of this, okay? Because um, be, there's nothing more frustrating. Perhaps they are, but, you know, let's just assume uh, nothing. Uh, imagine this. When, when, when people try to prank you, try to scare you or, or set up a prank for you. They, they would went all out, for example. You know, you can watch this online, um, on social media, how people go the extra mile, go, go crazy on, on all the things that they set up to, uh, to set up a prank. They spend so much time setting it up. But imagine this. You knew uh, the prank is coming. You knew the plan. You, what happened? You, you're ready for it right? Uh, you know the prank is coming, somebody set it up, and it will not catch you off guard when it is executed, when, when it's coming your way, you know it's coming. 
So what happened there? Well, you will frustrate the people who set it up, right? So the, the same thing is with, with, the, with the hate and the persecution that are coming our way, they're predictable. Jesus tells us that it will, it, it, he, he does so, he tells us so, so that you're not falling away, so that you will not be frustrated, so that you are ready. So I believe that's a reason Jesus told his disciples about the quote-unquote prank that is coming our way, the suffering, the hate that is coming. Of course, except that the prank that is coming our way, uh, the hate and the suffering, the persecution, these are not uh, a laughing matter. It's not just for fun. They're serious matter. Uh, Christian around the world are killed because of this, because of their faith, because they live for Jesus. So it's a serious matter. So this leads us to the the second sub point on this, if you follow Jesus, the first one is, uh, we know that they are predict predictably coming our way. The second one is, if you follow Jesus, when, when they come, when the persecution and hate come your way, you will not be surprised by it. You can be ready for it. In fact, it is an in indication that you are a disciple of Jesus when you are not caught of God by all this hate, by all this persecution and suffering, you know? Jesus warned you, the Apostle Paul warned you, the Bible warns you. So you know the persecution, the persecution will come and it is part of being a disciple of Jesus. You will not be caught of, caught of God. Instead, you, you'll be able to think clearly. You'll be able to persevere. Uh, you won't run away from it when things get tough. When, when we're in lockdown week after week and it get extended, you will not cough of caught of God. You say, oh man, you will not be caught off guard. You know this is coming. Life is not a comfortable life. It's not an easy life. You will not go out and, and storm to the street without wearing your mask and just protest. We want to get out of lockdown. We don't, don't want to be in lockdown. You won't do that because you will not be caught off guard. You are ready for it. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. It's not easy. Uh, that's why Jesus warned us. It's not easy. Uh, so don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying this, that we, we can take it like lightly. Because it's a serious matter. Uh, there are things that we experience in our life that are really tough. Yet Jesus has warned us so that we will not fall away. Now, it's a, I think it's a good time to think about your life at this point is it a comfortable one is your life is a comfortable one or is it one that is similar to what jesus has predicted for his disciples which one is it if you look at your life if you dis, you know honestly look at your life is it a comfortable one or is it one that is somehow similar to what jesus described for his disciples now verse 20 says this Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Somehow we want a life that is beyond what our master experienced on this side of eternity. This is it. If you follow me, if you are my servant, if you're my disciple, you're not greater than me. Uh, so if they persecute me, Jesus said, they will do so to you. Now, if, if you're not feeling that you're being persecuted, if you're not feeling that the world hates you, 
if you're not feeling the heat, then perhaps we have to ask ourselves, what are you chasing in your life? What are you chasing in your life? Are you chasing uh, a momentary happiness in this side of eternity or a joyful fullness of happiness on the other side of eternity with Jesus? Which one is it? Now, if your life is more like the world than what Jesus has described, perhaps without realizing it, you have been influenced by the world more so than the Bible. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is radical change. So first one, it's predictable hate. Second thing I want to talk about is this radical change. <clears throat> what Jesus taught us and taught the disciples is not easy, as I said. It's countercultural. Countercultural means that we got to swim against the stream of this culture, especially ours today, our culture today. It is definitely something that is easier said than done. Uh, many Christians believe this and, and have said it and preach about it, but have not living it out because it's easier said than done. To live according to the teaching of Jesus means to love and to hate the right things according to the Bible. To chase after the things, the right things in this life according to the Bible. To expect everything that the Bible has says will come if we follow Jesus. Now, the, how can we live in such a way? How can we possibly live in such a counter-cultural way? Such a radical way. Now, I'm not telling you all these things to make you miserable, to make your life miserable, that you cannot have a happy life. Or I, I'm, I'm not saying this thing to make you frustrated or to beat yourself up. No. See, the temptation when you hear something like this is to respond with what? Trying harder. That's, that's one of the most common response for a faithful Christian when they hear messages like this is try harder. You, you say to yourself, I know, Lord, I've chased after the comfort of this world uh, more than living for you. I know I failed. Uh, forgive me. I will try harder. That's a common response, isn't it? What is your response when you hear me say that? You say, yeah, you know, I've, I've been chasing after a comfortable life, um, not leaving out what the Bible says, but I, I will try better. I will try harder. Now, how, how many times have you tried that? How many times have you said to yourself, I will try harder. I will, I will, I will, I will repent. I will do better. Well, if you're like me, you have tried that method before, perhaps many, many times. You and I know it does not work. Trying harder does not work. Now, when your life is being fed by the news and Netflix more than God's word, you will slowly drift away from him, from Jesus again. So it doesn't matter that you're not motivated now. You, you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now as you hear the word of God. You say, I will try harder. It does not matter because if, if, if the newspaper, if the news of this world and Netflix influence you, more hours than the word of God influence you, then you'll be dragged away eventually. So you can't be successful by trying harder. An incremental effort will not work. What's the solutions then? That's our second point, radical change. Now, to be 
people say, some people say, you know, yeah, it's okay to be Christian, but just don't be too fanatic about it. Well, there's no such thing as a, as a non-fanatical or non-radical Christian. There's no such thing. It's an oxymoron. To be a Christian means to be counter-cultural, to be different, to be not of this world. That's what Jesus said. So it's an oxymoron to say to, to be a Christian who blend in in the world, to live like the world. There's no such thing. So in order for us to face the predictable hate that comes our way is to experience a radical change in our life. Not to try harder, but to experience a radical, spiritual, supernatural change in our lives. Our passage today begins uh, from verse 18, chapter 15, verse 18. It says this, if the world hates you, it means this. Um, when you read something from chapter 15, verse 18, it means this. Well, we need to go back. Why did the world hate us, right? We need to go back from chapter 1 to chapter 14. And also, you know, we, we begin in verse 18. There's 17 verses before, uh, before verse 18. And also, this is not the end of the book of John. We need to read ahead as well what the following verses and chapters to understand this, this idea of uh, living for Jesus if the world hates us. See, John 15, Jesus has been teaching us what? We, we listened to, uh, we, we heard this message from uh, verse 1, 15 verse 1, last week. Jesus has been teaching the disciple about the true vine, that Jesus is the true vine. Let us read from uh, John 15, verse 4 to 5. If you have a Bible with you, why don't you uh, follow along with me? Verse 4, John 15, verse 4 to 5. Jesus says this, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruits. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown to fire and burn. Jesus said this, abide in me. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. I am the vine. See, what Jesus taught here is a radical change that must happen in us because we are branches who like to think that we are the vine. That's, when, that's what we do when we chase after comfortable life. That's what we do when we try harder. We think we are the vine. What you need most is not mere determination or, or more effort to be more dedicated disciple, to be a better Christian. No, that's not what you need. Instead, you need to try less and trust more. Let me say that again. What you need is not more determination or more effort to be a more dedicated disciple of Jesus. Instead, you need to try less with your own effort and trust more. And let me explain this. Remember the relationship between love and hate in the beginning that I explained? The other side of love is hate. In the same way, the other side of trying harder is to trust Jesus. When we try hard, when we work hard in our own effort to be godly, we have failed in trusting in Jesus. Why? Because when you do that, you say, I can do this, God. I can be good. I can be generous. I can be forgiving. I can do this and that. I can read my Bible. I can be serving. I can be everything that you want me to be. Now, if we can do that, 
on our own, then we don't know, then we don't need Jesus in our life. And that is exactly what the Pharisees did. The religious, the Pharisees, the religious people in Jesus' days, that's what they were doing. They rejected Jesus because they say, we don't need you. We have the law. We have the Torah. We can obey the law on our own. Oh, the arrogance of men, religious people. Now, let us not be religious. Christians are, are not meant to be religious. Um, we are not religious people. Religious people say we obey the law because we love God. We know God. We obey the law. We can do it. But deep down, Jesus showed them that they don't love God. They're just prideful, arrogant. They say, I can do this on my own. I don't need to put my trust in you. And many Christians today fall into the same trap today. Now, if you want to be successful uh, in, in your call to be a disciple of Jesus, then you must go through a radical change in your life. You are not the vine. You are not the source of life. Jesus is. You are the branch whose very life is dependent on the vine, on Jesus. Now, John 3, how, how can that happen? How, how does that work? Well, John, in John 3, we look at this before, a long time ago now, uh, Jesus told a religious leader, a Pharisee, a leader of a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus about this very matter. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, right? Truly, truly means, in, in Greek means, amen, amen, right? What I'm saying to you is really, really true. It will come true, and it's, it's the truth. And Jesus said this, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus said, it's not that you obey more, try harder. That's not the key. You have to be born again. You must experience radical change in your life. So what you need and what I need is not to try harder, but a radical change, not an incremental effort of trying, but a radical change of trusting and putting our faith in the vine in the true vine, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know how hard that is? Do you know how hard that is to, 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 to experience that uh, for, for you and me in, in this culture that we are in? It's hard because you, you and I have always believed that you hold the key to your own success. We've been in, we ingrained this in, in, from a very young age. Parents tell their children this, if you want to be successful, it's up to you to make that your own. You know, you got to work hard for it. Um, so that's why we, we try harder whenever we fail. We, we trust no one but ourselves. You know what's the problem with that? There's a lot of problem with that. But when, when that is our mantra of life, when we fail, we'll be devastated. We will blame ourselves uh, and our spirit will be crushed. But when we're successful, we'll be proud, we'll become ungrateful, and worst of all, we, we look down on those who are less successful than us. We tell them, well, because you didn't work hard. Uh, we tell those who are less faithful Christian because we look down on them. We, we say, because you, you didn't come to church. You didn't read your Bible. You didn't pray enough. You didn't serve. You're not generous enough. We look down on those who are less successful. If our success comes from our own trying hard now if you if you have if you have this long enough you will realize that what you have is not enough whatever it is that you have the success that you have uh, 
by trying harder. If, if you have it long enough, you know it's not enough. You, you, you always need more. Um, have you ever experienced the excitement of new stuff? I'm, I'm sure you all have. Um, whatever that is that excites you, new clothes, perhaps new car, uh, new relationship, new boyfriend, new girlfriend, uh, new house, new phone, uh, new gadget. I'm, I'm a gadget guy. Um, gadget excites me. Uh, or new shoes, whatever it is, right? When they're new, you think like, man, finally, this is enough. I've, I've got this amazing house, amazing wife, amazing husband, amazing uh, computer, amazing iPhone, uh, um, whatever it is, it's not going to be enough. Every year, uh, Apple releases a new iPhone. When, when you have that phone, that new iPhone that finally just came out, you say, man, now I'm satisfied. Well, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but when come next year, when they release a new one, you will not be satisfied anymore. That feeling will not last, you see. Um, now, if you try to, cease, to seek satisfac satisf satisfaction in this world, right now, perhaps you, don't, you are not in a relationship. You say, only if I have that relationship, then I'll be happy. Let me burst your bubble right now. You will not because... If you try to seek satisfaction in this world, sooner or later, you'll be disappointed. Uh, this is the reason, uh, because we are not of this world. We are of another world. C.S. Lewis, the great uh, English writer, write this. If I find myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. If I find myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Nothing in this world can truly satisfy us, truly satisfy our soul and say, I'm finally happy and satisfied and content. Nothing. Why? Because we are made for another world. You and us, you, you and me, all of us must undergo a radical change. Now, this is hard. Why is it hard? Because you need to let go from trusting your own ability to help yourself to trusting Jesus. Do you see that? Trusting Jesus means you got to let go trusting yourself, trusting your own ability that you can do it. To trust Jesus means you admit to yourself, I cannot do this without you, Jesus. I cannot be truly happy and satisfied without you, Jesus. Not many people, not many Christians can say that. Not many Christians can let that go and humble themselves to say, I can't do this if it's not for Jesus. Those who trust in their own ability, let me say this, it's not faith. That is not faith. That is arrogance of man, of human being. When we do that, what we're doing is this. We say to Jesus, Jesus, I don't trust you. I trust in myself. I don't need you because I can do this on my own. Yeah, well, there are occasional things that is beyond your control. And that's when you say to Jesus, Jesus, now I need you to do this something, to do something about this for me. But most of the times you would say, I don't need you, Jesus. I can do this on my own. Perhaps you, you, you are a better Christian than me. Most, most of your lives you say, I need Jesus in this. But there's one particular thing in your life. Say, Jesus, on this particular thing in my life, my career, 
my relationship, whatever that is, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. When you do that, when you trust your own ability to achieve that very thing, whatever that is, that is not faith. That is arrogance. My brothers and my sisters, what we need is a radical change. We need to be born again. We need to realize we are the branch, not the vine. We are not the source of life. We cannot bear fruit if we have not undergone uh, a radical change in our life. And when that happens, we will no longer be seeking comfort in this life. No way. We will not do that. When that happens, we will no longer be trusting in ourselves. Instead, we will abide in Jesus. Like what we see in verse um, 1 to 17 in chapter 15. We will abide in Jesus. Only then we can have something that we truly need in this life. Not comfort, not wealth, not the approval of people. We can have true joy. Jesus said this in verse 11, chapter 15, verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. That's the promise of God. You know why you've been so unhappy? Perhaps you're happy now because you have that new thing in your life. But you know, you, you live long enough to know that will not last. You'll get to a point where you will no longer be happy and satisfied with what you initially satisfied. That's not full joy, right? That is not full joy that Jesus promised here, that my joy may be in you and that your, your joy may be full. Your joy is not full. In verse 11, Jesus basically said, I told you this, all these things warning you so that your joy may be full. Now, King David, someone whom the Bible calls as the man after God's own heart writes this. He's a special man, right? The Bible says this is a man after God's own heart. He says this in Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life in the in your presence, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. Not, not part of joy, not a small joy, but full, complete joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A pleasure that does not last for a day or a year until the new phone is released, until the new thing comes out. But the pleasures that is in God is forevermore. For eternity long, that's the promise of God. So we seek comfort and pleasures in this world when the Bible says true pleasures, fullness of joy that will never end can only be found in our Lord Jesus Christ. That leads us to a final point, extraordinary love. So how can we tap into this kind of change, this radical change? How, how can we experience that kind of change? You know, it's, it's not about trying harder. I don't want you to go up from, from here and say, well, I must try harder. No, that's not, the, that's not the point. The point is we will fail if, if, if that's what we want to do. So how can we experience that? How can we tap into that kind of change? Well, uh, there is a price to pay. Um, just like there is a price to pay for even a temporary fleeting satisfaction and happiness this world has to offer, right? If you want a new phone, new iPhone, you must pay the price. They're not cheap. If you want a, a good and loving relationship, you must pay the price. It, you know, you got to work out that relationship. Now, if, if you're married, you know, um, someone wise said, uh, a, a good marriage does not just happen. You got to work hard at it. Uh, we, we, we look at relationship like a garden. 
You cannot enjoy a beautiful garden if you don't take care of it. If you don't put, if you don't trim it, you don't mow it, you don't fertilize it, you don't water it. It's not gonna work. It's gonna get terrible. It's gonna look terrible. Just like a relationship. If you want to have a good loving relationship, you gotta you must pay the price. You must put the effort in. Now, if you want a good job, you must also pay the price. You work hard in the university, uh, many sleepless nights of studying and writing essays. Now, there's a price to pay if you want a radical change in our life, if you want to tap into that uh, change in our life. You want the true and full joy that is everlasting? Well, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. There's a big price to pay. Now, Jesus said this in verse 26 to 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus promised the disciples that he will send them the helper, the Holy Spirit. We, we read this as well in, in, verse, uh, in chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. The helper here comes after Jesus paid the price for us. We will not have the helper without Jesus paying the price. The hint has been given to us here in, in chapter 14, verse 15 and 16. It says, I will give you another helper. This is the end say, I will give you a helper. This is say, I will give you another helper. What does it mean? It means there is a helper before the Holy Spirit that he will send. Who's that helper? Jesus himself. So if you read chapter 14, you will see that Jesus is our helper. He must pay the price so that he can send another helper to us. So in verse, when we come to verse 15, verse 26, when he said, I will send another helper, Jesus said, I must pay the price for this to happen. The ultimate price. Um, and if we read ahead in the following chapters, we will see Jesus paid the ultimate price. How? On the cross. Now, in this side of eternity, we can, we can witness similar uh, act of extraordinary love and sacrifice, can't we? That's God's grace. If, if we can see this act of extraordinary, extraordinary love and be inspired by it in this side of eternity, that's grace. God reminds us this thing uh, that's to stir our hearts. Now, that is why I think we, we love stories and, and movies that portray such love and sacrifice. Not sure, uh, I'm not sure whether you, you, you watched and heard of uh, uh, an old movie in, in, in the 90s. There's this movie, Tom Hanks movie, uh, called Saving Private Ryan. Uh, it's a good movie. It's, it's set during uh, World War II period. Um, a team in, in that movie, a team where Tom Hanks was part of, was sent out on a dangerous mission into, into enemy's territory in order to just rescue one person. This is just ordinary guy, a young guy uh, to rescue one guy. You, you watch the movie, you watch all the sacrifice, all the death, all, you know, all these people, and you would think, why? 
how can it ever be justified sacrificing so much for just one person, ordinary person? He's not a president. He's not an important guy. How can it be justified to do so? Now, we love that kind of movie. I love that movie uh, because we see such an, uh, an act of sacrificial love just to save this one guy. Now, on, on the cross, that's what we see. We see such extraordinary love and sacrifice. Now, we need to see this. It's not a movie. It's real. It, it happened. Jesus, the Son of God, died for you so that he can send the helper, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you today. If you are Christian today, the Holy Spirit lives in you. God lives in you to help you. To, to help you with what? Well, what is he doing? Well, we must read verse 26, right? We read verse 26, 27. It says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, Jesus said. He will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, the helper the Holy Spirit lives in us, inside of us. Why? To help us, help you and me bear witness about Jesus, who has shown an extraordinary love for you, sacrificing himself on the cross. Now, let me say this. To live a life with this kind of commitment of bearing witness about Jesus is to say no to a comfortable life. To live a life with this commitment of bearing witness about Jesus is to be ready when the predictable hate and persecution and suffering come your way. So again, I want to remind us, before you go and say, I will try harder to live for Jesus. I don't want any of us to miss this in verse 26. Jesus said he will send the helper. He is the initiator. He is Jesus is the enabler, not us, Jesus is. So when you live for Jesus joyfully, you know there's nothing that you can be proud of. It's not the reason for you to look down on others, even other Christian, other brothers who are less committed perhaps, who didn't do as much as you do, who did not sacrifice as much as you do. You can't go around and say, I did it. I work hard for Jesus. I sacrifice for Jesus. You can't. Because you look at Jesus, you look at the cross, the sacrifice that he's done for you. You say, I've done nothing but a passive recipient of God's grace in my life. No, but if you do and go around and say, I work hard for Jesus, I sacrifice for Jesus, then you have missed the point of Christianity completely. You have completely missed it. See, Christians are not for those who are able, but for those who are unable. Christians are not... Are not, uh, uh, Christians are those who understand that if they can live for Jesus today, according to what he say, it is, not, it is only by the sheer grace of God. There's nothing that we can boast about. So Christian, uh, we can joyfully endure this predictable suffering, predictable hate, because we have undergone a radical change in our heart first. How? Through the extraordinary love of Jesus Christ, we experience that. This kind of love that led Jesus to die on the cross. And I'm going to close with uh, the word of the Apostle Paul. Um, 
in to Timothy, his his young protege, Second uh, Timothy verse uh, chapter two verse eight to thirteen. So this is this is a reminder from a seasoned pastor, Paul, a mature Christian Paul, to his younger brother, to his student. He he he'd say this to him with love. He say this. So when when I read this, treat it as Paul, as God and Jesus Himself speaking to you and me today, reminding us of the truth. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 to 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if I died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, this is grace. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 